0: Let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 19. If this is your first service, I've been teaching on this. This is my third service last night, this morning, tonight, and then uh, two more services tomorrow. And we're dealing with these verses out of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through uh, 23. And it says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the... Holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And I've made some statements that I believe that if we could really understand just those few verses right there, that this would totally revolutionize our personal relationship with God. As a whole, the body of Christ does not understand this. These terminologies have become cliches that we just say them and don't think about it. And so I really believe that we need to just... Uh, camp here and mine the wealth and the good that is in these verses. And so that's what we've been doing during this meeting. Last night I started talking about the holy place is talking about entering into the place where God dwelt. And in the old covenant, people were restricted from that. There was a veil that held it back. And it says over in Hebrews chapter 9 that this was signifying that the way unto God was not yet manifest as long as the old covenant was still in effect. The old covenant could not bring you into the holy place. It could tell you that there was a holy place, that God was real, but it couldn't bring you into relationship with Him. All it could do was show you how far short you fell of that. But through Christ, the veil is His flesh and it has been rent into and we now have direct access to God by the blood of Jesus, not by your own works. And we spent last night talking about that. Today we started talking about that Jesus is our high priest, which again was totally contrary to the Old Testament way of doing things. Because Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Levi. And according to Hebrews chapter 7, if there is a change in the priesthood, then that means that there has to be a change in the law. Because the law was very strict about only Levites could be a high priest. And so Jesus is our high priest. And then I was emphasizing, it says, by a new and living way. That's implying that there was an old way. The old way was the uh, law, the Old Testament way of relating to God. And this has now been superseded. And we use the verses out of uh, Hebrews chapter 8 where it says, "...in that he saith that there is a new covenant, he hath made the first old, and that which is old decays and is ready to vanish away." Hebrews chapter 7, verse 18 and 19 says that there is a disannulling of the commandment that was given before because of the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. And so, praise God. Anyway, I've been saying some things that are just radical. Radical. And I know that there's a lot of people that are shocked by this and they say, I haven't heard that before. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong because we hadn't heard it before. I've been using lots of scriptures. Lots of scriptures. And let me just say this, you know, probably one of the most common comments I get from people is that I know God is real and I know that he wants to bless me and I know that there's so much more than what I've received, but, and then they say, it's just not working. I don't have joy, I don't have peace, I'm not walking in health. Things aren't working. That is the typical Christian statement. They know that they're born again. They have no doubt about that. If they were to die, they believe that they would go into the presence of the Lord, but they know they aren't experiencing the victory that God has for them. And yet, when you start telling them something new, there's an immediate resistance. Man, I don't want to change. You know, this is what I believe my whole life. Well, if what you believe in isn't working, then you need to change what you're believing why is it that we're so resistant towards change if your testimony is that I know that there's more, but I'm not experiencing it? Well, then you ought, to take, uh, you ought to be more open to change if what you are believing isn't working. And I'm sharing with you things from Scripture that, yes, is different than what most of Christianity is preaching today, but it's not different from the Bible. We are living in a day where there is a drought for hearing the true Word of God. There's lots of people in churches, but they aren't hearing the true word of God. They're hearing a lot of religious things that's actually bondage and binding people and not setting them free. I am not against the church. I am for the church. I go to a local church. We are encouraging pastors. Matter of fact, I made that announcement this morning, and I forget how many pastors, but we've got dozens of pastors that have been attending these meetings. There are good churches, but I'd say that they're in the minority today. And there's a lot of religious churches that actually do a lot of damage. And uh, I know some of you go to those dead churches. And you bootleg the gospel off my television program. (laughs) I'm where you go to get fed. But then you go to a dead church and pay your tithes to that. Shouldn't happen. You ought to be in a good church. Oh, but I was raised in this church. Who cares? You know what, you need to go someplace where you can share the vision and you can be taught the Word of God. We act like church is kind of an appendage on our life and it's not the focus. It ought to be opposite. It ought to be your relationship with God, your connection with brothers and sisters. That ought to be the focus of your life. And then your job and other things ought to be appendages. If we would put God first, I guarantee you everything in your life would work much, much better. So anyway, we've been saying some radical, radical things from these verses that we have boldness to enter into the very presence of God because the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. God judged His Son and His flesh was broken for us. So now we can enter right into the very presence of God. And uh, by a new and living way as contrasted to a death way that the Old Testament was a ministration of death. I used those verses this morning out of Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. And look in verse 23. This is an amazing statement to me. It says, let us draw near. And you know, I could spend an hour or two on each one of these phrases. I'm going to combine some of these just to be able to cover this. But let me first of all just say that it says, let us draw near to God. The context of this is let us enter into the holies. Let us now come into the very presence of God. But let me just emphasize something here that I think is misunderstood by most people. Most people today know that there is more intimacy with God than what they are experiencing. That they know that there's more blessing of God than what they're experiencing. But most Christians today do not see that they have any ability to do anything about it. Most Christians are petitioning God as if it's up to God how close to Him you are. And you may not have understood what I just said, but I'm going to say this so many ways I think you'll eventually get it before the night's out. But for instance, like when it comes to revival, most Christians know that we need revival. They know that, man, people today aren't putting God first. God is not in the center of our lives. And so they go back into history and they read about times where people were, I mean, passionate about God. Passionate about God. And there have been outpourings of the Holy Spirit and entire countries and nations have turned to the Lord. There's been revivals right here back in the 1700s with Jonathan Edwards and other people that came through here. And so we read about this and we see that where we are is not as good as it has been in the past with people. And so the body of Christ is praying and asking God to pour out His Spirit. But the approach is incorrect because it's true that we need a greater manifestation of God. We need more people passionate about God, but how do you get there? Well, the common belief in the body of Christ is that we petition God and we beg Him and we plead. And they'll use scriptures like 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. And so we are praying and we are getting millions of people together. God won't hear one person. But if we could put a hundred people or a thousand people or a million people together, that puts more pressure on God. And we're all interceding and crying out and begging God to move and commanding God to move. Totally wrong. That's implying that God is the reason that we aren't having revival. That's not true. It says in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter was preaching and he said, This promise is unto you and unto your children, and unto them that are afar off, that's talking about us, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The Lord poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and He has never taken Him back. See, people who are praying for revival the way it's done today are basically believing that God is ticked off because the body of Christ hasn't done something right, we haven't sought Him, and so God has folded His arms, turned His back, and left us to ourselves, and we're stewing in our own juice because this is what we deserve. And so, God, we repent. Oh, God, move. Oh, God, pour out your spirit. That's wrong. God poured out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and He hasn't got His arms folded and His back turned. God is with His arms outstretched, going about. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show Himself strong. He's trying to move on behalf. God is trying to move in your life more than you want Him to move. You don't need to plead with God to move. You don't need to beg God to pour out His Spirit. You don't need to ask God for more. People are always saying, Oh, God, just give me more of you. I don't like that kind of stuff. Somebody says, Well, what's wrong with that? Because that's implying that God is the one that's controlling the tap. God's the one that determines how much joy you've got, how much love you've got, how much victory and how much anointing. And so there's lots of religious people that are praying for a double portion. Oh God, give me a double portion of the Holy Ghost. And they go back and talk about Elijah and Elisha. And Elisha got twice of the Spirit as Elijah. And they're having Elijah nights where you come and we're going to pray for you and you'll get twice the anointing. It's wrong. In the Old Testament, it is true that people only had the Holy Spirit in degrees and in portions. But in the New Testament, we have the fullness of the Godhead on the inside of us. Now that doesn't mean that we have the fullness of God in our minds. Our minds are renewed to it and that we are experiencing all of the joy and the peace. But God has already placed all of this on the inside of us. In the Spirit, you've got all of the Holy Spirit that you can get. Now, we're going to have people come forward for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's talking about receiving the anointing and drawing out and releasing what you already have. And then when you operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that's a separate thing. But you already have the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in you. You don't need any more. What you need to do is start drawing out and using what you have. People are saying, oh, I know faith works, but oh God, I just don't have any. Oh God, give me more faith. The Bible says you have the faith of Jesus. That's another teaching. I got a tape out there entitled, The Faith of God. And you already have all of the faith. If you're born again, you have the same amount of faith that Jesus used when He raised Lazarus from the dead. You don't need more faith. You need to start receiving and using what God gave you. The scripture goes along with this, is Philemon chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul was praying a prayer for Philemon. And he says, I pray that the communication of your faith would become effectual, how? By begging God for more faith, by pleading with him, asking him to pour out his spirit. Oh God, give me more. Oh God, touch me. No, it's by acknowledging every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. The way your faith begins to work is by quit begging God to do what He's already done. You've already got it. So quit trying to get it. Start believing what God has done. Find out what happened when you got born again. I don't know if you're following me, but what I'm saying is diametrically opposed to the vast majority of Christians. They are asking God to heal them. When the Bible says, by his stripes you were healed, 1 Peter two twenty four. If God has already done it, why are you asking him to do it? Well, because the doctor says, I've got this disease. That's only telling you what the physical realm is like. They can't tell you what you're like in the spirit. They can't tell you that what Jesus gave you. The Bible tells you who you are in the Spirit, and in the Spirit you have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, living on the inside of you. You don't need God to give you more power, to give you faith, to touch you, and give you more joy or anything. The Bible says in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. You've already got those things. Why are you asking God to give you what the Bible says you've already got? The only logical answer to that question is that you don't believe or you don't know, therefore you don't believe that you've already got it. Since you don't feel it in your physical body, then we think that we don't have it. But there is a spiritual part of you that is identical to what the Word says and you already have these things. So I get all of this. I'm saying all of these things based on verse 23, Hebrews 10, 23, where it says, let us draw near. It's not saying, oh God, open up the way, because God's already opened up the way. God has already split the veil. The Holy of Holies is now open. God is there with His arms outstretched. You don't have to pray and ask God to pour out His Spirit. Oh God, love me. All you've got to do is believe what the Word says and you draw near. The responsibility is on us. If you want revival, quit praying for it and believe that God has placed the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus from the dead. You start building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in tongues and operating in the Word of God. Go out and raise somebody from the dead and you'll have all the revival you can handle. Amen. Get out of your prayer closet begging God to do what He's already done and start believing that, man, I have the power to raise the dead. I have the ability to lay hands on the sick. You know, Melinda was giving the testimony about Samantha being back here and these people who just received the Holy Spirit back there laying hands on each other and miracles happening. That's revival. And we didn't pray and beg God for anything. I have people come up to me all the time and say, would you please pray for me? I just don't feel the love of God. Would you please pray that God would pour out His love in my life? Most people think that's a good prayer. Boy, that, that bothers me. It bothers me when people say things like that. I mean, the spirit of slap comes on me where I just... A... <laughs> Somebody says, well, what's wrong with a prayer like that? You're implying that if you don't feel love, then it means that God doesn't love you. So God's got to do something to prove His love to you. If Jesus coming to this earth isn't proof enough that God loves us, then I guarantee you, you're just too full of unbelief. It's not God who hasn't given, it's you that's not believing. If a person would come to me and say, I know that God loves me and I know that the Word says it, but you know what, I've just had things happen and I'm blinded to it. I know the problem's me, it's not God. Would you please pray with me that God would open up my blinded eyes and help my dead heart to receive and understand what I know to be true, I'd pray with you about that. But if you come and say, would you pray that God would do something and move in my life? No, because God's already done His part. God's not your problem. It's not God that hasn't healed you. It's not God that hasn't poured out His love and joy. It's us that are so occupied with the cares of this life and the junk of this world that it's choked truth. And we are now going by our feelings and by our emotions. And if we don't have a goosebump, then we think that God must not be here. Hallelujah. We'll come into our church and say, well, God wasn't within a hundred miles of that place. Why? Because people fell asleep. Nobody ran, screamed, jumped a pew, hollered. No goosebumps something up and down your spine. So, well, <laughs> God wasn't within a hundred miles of that place. We'll come in and say, oh, God, we ask you to meet with us tonight. Oh, God, just be with us. That's a stupid prayer. That's a stupid prayer. Did anybody miss what I'm saying? Was that too subtle? Somebody says, well, what's wrong with that? The Bible says I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. And yet you come in and, oh, God, please be with us. That's a stupid prayer. It's based on unbelief. Instead of praying, oh God, move, oh God, come and be with us, oh God, go with us as we leave this place, oh God, do this, oh God, pour out your love, oh God, send revival, oh God, heal me. We need to get to a place where we believe that the veil has been rent, God has paid the price, the way is open, all of the sacrifice has been made, now it's your turn. How are you going to respond to this nearly too good to be true news? Are you going to believe that God has done this? Are you going to believe that you've got love, joy, and peace? Are you going to start building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in tongues? That's uh, Jude chapter 1 verse 20 and verse 21 says the results of that is keep yourselves in the love of God. It's not up to God to love you. He's already loved you. He's already commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. He's already commended His love towards you. You don't have to ask God to love you. Now believe that He loved you. And stir yourself up and keep yourself in the love of God. Walk into the Holy of Holies. Begin to fellowship with God. Build yourself up. Encourage yourself. First. Uh, Samuel chapter 30, verses 4 through 6, David was in a bad state where his people were even talking about stoning him. After 13 years of being anointed by God, and since God touched his life, everything had gone wrong. Amen. I mean, his, his father-in-law had tried to kill him, had taken his wife and given her to another man, and was, his life was just nothing but a pain ever since God anointed him. And now his own men were going to stone him to death. And it says David wept until he couldn't weep anymore. But then it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He didn't call out and say, Oh God, I'm just at the bottom. Please touch me. Please do something. And then if you don't have an epiphany in five minutes, turn on the television and while I'm waiting on God. I'm just waiting on God. No, David encouraged himself in the Lord. He took the truths that God had shown him and he took the Word of God and began to build himself up and encouraged himself. Most people are so passive. We aren't taking responsibility for our life and we're saying, oh God, would you please heal me? God, would you please move in my life? And we act as if we have nothing to do with it. God, I can do nothing. People will come all the time and say, you know, the doctors have given up. It's hopeless. Would you pray for me? That's a wrong attitude. This kind of prayer where, oh God, we have no power at all. Now, uh, Jehoshaphat said that in 1 Chronicles chapter 20. When the enemies came against him, he says, Lord, we have no power at all against this enemy. Our eyes are on you. And people will quote scriptures like that, but that was an Old Testament man that didn't have what we have. We now are born again. We have the raising from the dead power of Jesus on the inside of us, and you are never powerless. I don't care if you are destitute financially tonight, you aren't powerless. God has given you the power to get wealth. And if you'll quit sitting on your hands and praying and asking God to just give you money and get up and lay your hand to something and start believing that God has put power on the inside of me and I'm going to prosper. If you start doing that, you'll start seeing some things happen. But basically the body of Christ is powerless and oh God, we have nothing. We're just praying. We're waiting on you. Oh God, send revival as if it's His fault not God's fault, it's our fault. Start believing that, Father, you've put the same power on the inside of me and praise God, I'm going to get so full of the Word of God, I'm going to be so that if the devil pokes me, the Word's coming out. Amen. (laughs) I'm going to get to where I speak the Word of God. And at work, instead of when people go to speaking and saying, oh, it's flu season, have you gotten the flu yet? Instead of you biting your lip and not saying anything because somebody might think you're a religious fanatic. Just stand up and say, hey, there is no flu season for me. By his stripes, I'm healed all of the time. And you start speaking the word. And you know what? You'll either experience one of two things. You'll experience total rejection or Revival. People will say, do you really believe that? Oh, yeah. Man, we were just at a meeting where we saw osteoarthritis healed, cancer healed, deaf ears open. Uh, there was a woman who told me that she had a lump that disappeared eight years ago watching me on television. I called it out, and this lump in her breast was instantly gone. And I just heard all of these miracles. This guy that was preaching his son was raised from the dead after being dead for five hours. You go to saying that and people will either reject you or they'll say, would you pray for me? And you'll start seeing revival. But that's risky. Somebody might not like you. You know what? You cannot praise God with your thumb in your mouth. You just got to pull your thumb out of your mouth and go to praising God. You gotta grow up and face it that if you it says in Second Timothy chapter three verse twelve that if you live godly, you will suffer persecution. The only people in here that aren't being persecuted are ungodly people. That doesn't mean you're a bad person, it just means you aren't like God. That's what ungodly means. God's not going to sit there and let somebody around the water cooler start talking about how bad everything is and gripe and complain and murmur. He would put in the truth. He would be salt and light. He would say something. He would project the truth. If you start saying the truth and standing for what is right, some people are going to hate you, other people are going to love you. I've got a lot of people that hate me, but I've got a lot of people that love me. And you know what? You... If you're afraid of offending somebody, you'll never do anything. I'm a little off the subject, but not really. I'm just saying that it's not up to, oh God, would you move? Oh God, would you touch this person? You're praying for somebody to be saved, but you wouldn't say anything to them because they might criticize you. The Bible, you don't get people saved by prayer. You get people saved by the Word of God. It says in... 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, that you are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, by the Word of God that lives and abides forever. The Word of God is like a seed. If you want a plant to grow, you don't pray over the ground and ask God to make a plant grow. You take the seed and you plant the seed. And if you don't plant a seed, you can pray until you die and there will never be anything grow. If you want somebody born again, Quit just praying and asking God to save them as if it's God that hasn't done something. Instead, take the seed, the Word of God, that is an incorruptible seed, and tell them the truth and speak the Word to them, and the seed will produce. They are born again by incorruptible seed. I'm telling you, the body of Christ as a whole doesn't understand that when we got born again, you now are God-possessed. You are God's secret weapon And instead of us going like, oh God, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm an old sinner saved by grace. Would you please do something in my life? I'm powerless. That's a terrible attitude. I was an old sinner, but I got saved by grace. And now I am God possessed. God Almighty, God Almighty lives on the inside of me. I have the glory of God living on the inside of me. And there may be somebody here thinking, wow, I'd never say that. How arrogant. I'm not saying that, that it's by any virtue of mine. It's totally the grace of God, but nonetheless, it's happened. I'm a new creature. God lives on the inside of me. Basically, the church is emphasizing that without Christ, you can do nothing. John chapter 15, verse 4, and that's an absolute truth. But what they're missing is, I'm not without Christ. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. If you could somehow or another separate me from God, well then yes, I'm nobody. But I am not separated from God. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And because of that, I do not have this uh, insecure attitude, this condemnation attitude that, oh God, we can do nothing. Greater is he that's in me than cancer that's in this world. Greater is he that's in me than defeat negativism and stuff. And instead of coming and starting from a position of unbelief, oh God, I'm nothing, oh God, cancer's beating me, oh God, I'm going to die. And you're just speaking death and doubt and fear. You ought to believe the word of God that, Father, thank you that I am seated in heavenly places. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Every tongue that rises against me in judgment I condemn and even though I've got this problem here, I know that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So I thank you that you've already done it. By your stripes, I'm healed. Now I take my authority. And the Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs eighteen twenty one. And so I use my tongue and I curse you, cancer. I command you to die in the name of Jesus. I loose your anointing, Father. I have that power and authority, and I loose this power, and I release. See, that's a totally different attitude than, oh, God, would you please move? Pretty please. <laughs> and if He won't do it for you, well, then go get a prayer warrior, because maybe they can move, God. You can't. But, and you just basically erase Jesus. He hasn't brought you into relationship with God. You've got to beg and plead and you've got to come before Him bowing and scraping and acting as if you're nothing and nobody. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I tell you, what I'm saying here is as rare as hen's teeth. There's not very many Christians that have an attitude that Jesus has already done it. They are in the process of begging Jesus to do something that He hasn't done. This says that it's already been done. We are now in the Holy Soul. Now, it's up to you. You draw near. You draw near. Don't ask God to draw near. Over in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul says that, you know, in Him we live and move and have our being. He's not far from any of us. He, he's with all of us. It's not God that needs to move. We're the ones that need to move. We need to move out of the outer court and out of the holy place and into the holy of holies by this new and living way. Look in Hebrews chapter seven. I use this verse this afternoon, verse nineteen. It says, "For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God." Hebrews ten twenty three says, "Let us draw nigh." How do you draw nigh? By the better hope, by the better covenant. You cannot draw nigh to God under the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law would allow you to come to the brazen altar. It would allow the priest the select few to enter into the holy place, but nobody could enter into the holy of holies except the one who was symbolic of the Lord Jesus. And there was a veil there that separated, and there was wrath and cherubims there to kill people if they tried to enter into His presence. But now all of that has changed. We have a new and a living way, and the veil has been rent. The cherubs are no longer standing there to turn anyone away from God. And now, the door is open, but God is not going to come out and grab you and drag you in. He says, you draw near. And how do you do it? By taking these truths and renewing your mind and telling yourself, Father, I believe I'm righteous. I believe that you live inside of me. I believe these things are true. I believe right now I'm in the very presence of God. I don't care what I feel like. You have to build yourself up. You have to encourage yourself. You have to assure your heart. 1 John chapter 3, I used that verse last night. And we aren't doing this. We're saying, oh God, would you please assure me? He said, you assure your own heart. Keep yourself in the love of God. Build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourself in the love of God. We're acting as if Jesus hasn't done anything. And so we're saying, oh God, would you please send Jesus to do something. Jesus has done everything He's ever going to do. And now He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. The significance of that is He isn't working. He's not laboring. He's not reapplying His blood to you every time you mess up and having to do something. He's already done it. He's reconciled you unto God. And He's now seated until His body takes their rightful place and stands up and subdues All of the things that Jesus has conquered. Jesus has conquered death, but it's up to his body to enforce that and make it come to pass. Jesus has conquered sickness and disease, but he's not going to just go around and heal you. He's healed everybody he's ever going to heal. And he put that healing power on the inside of you. Now, are you going to stand up and take that healing power and resist the devil and see him flee from you? Or are you going to go to God like a whipped puppy and, Oh God, I have no power. Would you please move in my life in total unbelief? You know, I know I'm being hard, but I'm just, I'm trying to get my point across. I'm trying to let you see that this attitude that we've got is not a godly attitude. In the third chapter of the book of Acts, Peter and John walked up to the temple, and they saw a man who was lame from his mother's womb. He was 38 years old, and he had never walked, completely invalid, and he was begging And he looked up at Peter expecting to receive something. And Peter said unto him, he said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they reached down and grabbed the man by the hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Man, man. Peter said, such as I have. He never even prayed a prayer. He didn't ask God to heal this person. He'd be kicked out of most of our churches today. He didn't come and say, Oh God, we come before you so humbly and we know that we're nothing and that we can do nothing. Oh God, we're just a worm. But we know that thou canst do all things. You have done nothing, but you could do it. And we're asking you, would you stretch forth your hand and would you touch this person and would you please heal them? Oh God, we're praying. And when nothing happens, then you get the prayer chain going and you get a hundred people putting pressure on God or just so many people that eventually God's got to give in. We've twisted His arm so much. They didn't do any of that. They said... I don't have any money with me. That didn't mean that they were broke. It just mean they didn't bring their wallet. I don't have any money, but you know what? Such as I have, I'm going to give it to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And they just grabbed him and lifted him up. People think, oh, so you say that you have... Well, yeah, I got the power of God. Jesus never told us to pray for the sick. There's examples of people praying for the sick. We pray for the sick. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for the sick, but He didn't tell you to pray for the sick. He told you to heal the sick. He gave a command, go out and heal the sick. There's a difference between praying and saying, oh God, would you please pray? See, that's an easy prayer. All of the responsibilities on God. God, it's just up to you. If it be thy will, pray. stretch forth your hand. There's a difference between that and saying, you know what? I've got the power of God in the name of Jesus. I command you to be healed. There's a difference in that kind of prayer. That's a risky prayer. Most people won't do that. Most people won't accept responsibility. Oh God, we know that you can do something. And somebody says, so you think that it's you healing people. No, it's not me. It's God's power. But it's not out there. It's in me. He gave me power. He gave you power. He gave every born-again believer the same power that Jesus has. Jesus said in John 14, 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Every believer, every believer has the power to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and we're approaching God as if we don't have any power and asking Him for power. You know, if God could be confused, God would be confused. He says, I give you all power in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel. And we turn around and say, oh God, we don't have any power. Oh God, would you pour out your power? I'm sure, you know, if it wasn't God, I'm sure he'd be scratching his head saying, I know I gave him power. (laughs) I know I told them that I gave them the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. What do they want? What am I supposed to do? I've already given them all power in heaven and earth and they're asking me for more power. We say, oh God, please heal me. And he says, now I know it's in there someplace. I think it's 1 Peter 2.24 somewhere that it says, by his stripes we were healed. It put it in the past tense. If you were healed, you are healed. So why are you asking God to heal you? Because you don't believe the Word. You believe what you feel. You believe a doctor's report more than you believe what the Word says. You know, I was intending to say something totally different than this tonight. I'm going to blame this on God and say that... I'm going to say that this is God trying to stir us up and let us recognize that it's up to you to draw nigh to God. God has done His part. If you don't feel bold, then it's you that's wrong. So change the way you feel. If you don't feel that God loves you, then you're wrong. Just start telling yourself and taking the Word and preaching to yourself. You know when the Lord first showed me these things, I was still in a Baptist church, and this is not what the Baptists preach. And I was told that I was of the devil. I was kicked out of a couple of Baptist churches. I was told that God was going to judge me, that, you know, just I could go on and on. And, and so there was this huge conflict. I was reading the Word, and the Holy Spirit was speaking these things to me, but every per- I didn't have a single person that agreed with what God was showing me. Except Jamie. I guess Jamie and I were in agreement. But outside of my family, I didn't have any agreement. And you know what? Because of it, I just felt like, God, how could this be true? And you know how I ministered to myself? I used to stand in front of a mirror and look at myself, eyeball to eyeball. And I'd just quote Scripture and say, You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. You have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. I'd say it to myself. Faith comes by hearing. And since I wasn't hearing anybody else say it, I started saying it. So I started preaching to myself and I'd preach to myself. And I remember the very first time I ever said, You are the righteousness of God. I didn't say it that way. It was more like, You are the righteousness of God. And all the hair stood up on the back of my neck and I thought, my next thought was, God, don't strike me dead. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to operate in faith. To the best of my understanding, this is what the Word says. Don't kill me for saying this. But i just keep saying it and I'd preach to myself and eventually I went to believe in it. And you know what I was doing? I was drawing near to God not by begging Him to do something, but I was taking the Word and I was renewing my mind and saying, I don't care what it feels like, I don't care what I've ever been taught, this is what the Word of God says, and I'm not backing off of it. I am going to draw near. I'm going to enter into the Holy of Holies. I used to sit and see myself, imagine myself entering into the very throne room of God And if anybody tried to get in my way, if an angel tried to stand in my way, I'd rebuke him in the name of Jesus and say that I am now have boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. And I would stand there and preach to myself and I'd imagine and see this. You know what that is? That's drawing nigh to God. That's renewing my mind. That's changing the way that I think. It's taking responsibility for yourself. And instead of just praying a prayer, oh God, please make me closer to you. And you got five minutes before my favorite show comes on. And if you, can, if you can transform my life before I go watch murder and lying and stealing and adultery for entertainment, have at it. And when nothing happens in five minutes, well, I'm seeking God and I'm waiting on God, but I just am not getting there. What's wrong? How dumb can you get and still breathe? That's not drawing nigh to God. That's not putting much effort into it. Man, we're going to have to get focused on this. We're going to have to... You know, what I've been saying is either true or it's not. And if what I've been saying is true, then what most of us are being taught and have been taught is wrong. And there's going to have to be a change. And if, what, if this is true, then you're going to have to put some effort into renewing yourself and start drawing nigh. And when you feel unworthy... You know, most people, it doesn't matter whether it's truth or not. It's just how passionately you feel. Feelings are more important to most people than truth. I've actually had people... I heard a minister one time say that they were dealing with a girl who hated her family and was bitter at her family and said all of her problems went back to her family. And this minister says, now I know the family. And they were a good family. They weren't perfect, but it wasn't the parents' fault. The child took an offense when none was intended. And so they were living a lie and a deception. But then they went on to say, but it really didn't matter whether it was true or not because it was true to them. And so, they went ahead and taught this girl how to forgive her parents and how to operate in love and forgiveness and let the Lord heal them of the hurts that they had. And when I heard that, I got the tape. It was a cassette tape. And I pulled it out and threw it out the window. I got so mad. It wasn't true, but they felt like it was true. So you had to deal with it as if it was true. Man, I just think that's terrible. That's terrible. You're reinforcing wrong attitudes. You're reinforcing lies. Nobody's ever going to get set free by believing a lie. You've got to tell people the truth. It's the truth that sets people free. And many of us, we know that the Word says, He'll never leave us nor forsake us, but God, I don't feel you. So therefore, forget what the Word says, I don't feel you. Oh, God, would you please come? Would you touch me? Would you manifest yourself? Would you do something? You know, if I was God, I'd just drop kick you right off the earth. (laughs) I'd turn you into a pool of ashes. Oh, well, I know He's with me, but I don't feel it. Well, who cares how you feel? Pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up and start going by what is true and what's reality. Well, I just don't feel the presence of God. Well, then you're wrong. God is with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And if you don't feel it, well, then change your feelings. Start looking in a mirror and saying, God is with me. God loves me. God is pleased with me. God carries my picture in his wallet. God loved me so much that he commended his love towards me and sending his son and he died for me. God loves me as much as any person. Speak to yourself. Edify yourself. Take Charlie and Jill's praise and worship. You know, I was testifying about that's what I do when I had pressures. That's what they do. You take the word and you minister to yourself and you build yourself up. You don't curl up in a fetal position and start complaining about how bad things are. Stand up and who you are in Christ and take your authority and, and go forth. You draw near to God. The way has been opened, the Lord split the veil. You now have access under the Holy of Holies. If you aren't in there, it's not God's fault to pick you up and put you in there. It's your responsibility to now believe that these things have been done. Stand up like a man or a woman. Begin to edify yourself. Speak the Word of God. Cast off the criticism and the traditions and doctrines of man that are hindering you from believing the truth. Take a stand for the Word. Some people say, "Well, I believe God sent me to this dead church." Well, if you really believe that, well then stand up, start speaking the truth, and you won't have to worry about leaving. They'll kick you out. <laughs> Amen. But God hadn't called any of you to be a secret service agent. God hasn't called any of you to be a spy in that church. If you really think God called you to be there, well, then stand up and speak the truth. And when they ask God, oh, come and be with us and go with us as we leave this place, stand up and say, hey, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's an unbelief prayer. Let's start praying the Word of God. You start saying, you know, you could be nicer than what I am. But if you would stand for the Word of God, I guarantee you, you won't have to worry about it. They will make your decision for you. Amen. You know, some of you are enjoying this, but there's some of you that if looks could kill, I'd be dead. You know why people don't like this? Because it places responsibility upon you. And we have become masters of saying, I'm not responsible. It's the fact that I missed a birthday party when I was three years old. And that justifies me being a triple rapist and a murderer because... I was abused when I was a child. They didn't give me my birthday cake. I heard a man say that. That's how he justified rape and murder was because he was abused as a child. They forgot his birthday. Pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up. It's not what other people do to you that make you the way that you are. You've got a choice whether you become bitter or better. Christianity places responsibility upon you. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 says, Behold, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your seed may live. God gave you the choice. Nobody else can make you bitter. Nobody else can make you a mess. Nobody has made you the mess that you are. You've had circumstances happen that may give you an opportunity, but it was your reaction to those circumstances that made you the jerk that you are. That's right. It's true. You can go into families where they were raised by the same parents, same alcoholic parents, the same... Pervert parents or whatever and one child will go the other direction and be straight as an arrow and the other one will be limping the rest of their life. And they had the same gene pool, the same environment, the same everything, but they had a choice. God says you choose. God gave you the choice. And just in case anybody misses this simple quiz, life and death, blessing and curse, it's kind of a no brainer. But in case you have trouble deciding which one, he gives you the answer to this quiz. He says, choose life. Amen? It's like, A, life. B, death. Life's the answer. Choose life. You got no excuse. You can be better instead of bitter. It's your choice. You don't have to let what somebody did to you destroy you. You know, Jamie and I have had the same problems that anybody's had. Charlie and Jill, I told you, they're fighting a a battle for their son's life. Did you know that most people would cave? Most people would be up here talking about, oh, how bad it is and crying and begging God. They're up here worshiping God and praising Him because they believe these things that we're talking about. There are many of you that if your son was fighting for his life and having to have somebody feed him through a tube into his stomach, you couldn't leave. You'd be so emotionally erect that you couldn't do anything. And here's Charlie and Jill worshiping God and standing strong because of God in their life. Amen. Amen. They've got a choice. They hadn't told me this, but I know that they're people like anybody else. They could have caved. They could have just been brokenhearted. They could have quit. They could have said, We can't minister. But they got a choice. You know, we've had things happen to us. We made Paul Harvey's news broadcast. Worldwide. He says it's one of the worst things he'd ever heard. And I remember Wendell met me when I came into school that day. And he says, you can't minister today. You don't have to minister. We'll cover for you. And I said, hey, Jesus is the same. Nothing's changed. You know what? I'll just stand up and tell him about Jesus. And I had a choice. You can go ahead and do what God called you to do. You do not have to fold like a $2 suitcase every time there's a problem in your life. you got the power of God living on the inside of you. you got a choice. That's right. That's right. I get all of this from Hebrews ten twenty-three, where it says, <laughs> Let us draw near to God. Don't let us now petition God to draw near to us. Let us beg and plead with God. God's done His part, brothers and sisters. God's faithful. God's made a new and a living way. The doors are open. He's welcoming us. His whole kingdom is for you, but you've got to do something. You've got to draw near. You've got to pick yourself up. You've got to stir yourself up. If you don't stir yourself up, you're going to settle to the bottom. You need to stir yourself up. You need to take the Word of God and encourage yourself in the Lord your God. You need to do something, lest you do nothing. Praise God. And I know some of you think I'm hard, but this is, we're just so far removed from where God wants us to be, I hadn't got time to sneak up on you. You know, there isn't an easy way to kill a sacred cow. You just got to kill it. <laughs> it reminds me of the guy that was driving down the road and he saw a three-legged cow and the fourth leg was a wooden leg. And he was so amazed that he decided he'd stop and go talk to that farmer. And he says, I've never seen a four-legged, I mean a three-legged cow and a, with the a fourth wooden leg. What happened to this cow? And he said, this is, a, this is a special cow. He says, it's really a special cow. And he says, well, what makes it special? And he says, one night we were all uh, asleep, our family and the house caught on fire and this cow made so much noise and banged and stuff and it woke the family up and it saved our life. This cow saved our life. And he says, well, that's amazing. I never heard that. But he says, that still doesn't explain why it's got a wooden leg. And he says, but you don't understand, this is a special cow. And he says, well, I, yeah, you told me. And he says, but no, there was another time. He says, my kids were in a, you know, a, a pond swimming and they, one of them was drowned, and we weren't there. And this cow went out and saved our child's life and drug them out of the pond and saved their life. And he says, that's amazing, I've never heard that. But what does that have to do with it having a wooden leg. And he says, well, you can't eat a special cow all at one time. <laughs> See, some people just want to kill a sacred cow a little bit at a time. Just Let's just clop off one leg. You know what? best way is just kill it and then eat the whole thing. Amen. <laughs> So instead of being gentle with you, i just killing all of our sacred cows, amen? I'm just pulling the rug out from under some of you, but I'm telling you what, if what's, what's happening in your life isn't working, you need something to change. And I'm telling you that these are just powerful, powerful truths from the Word of God that God has already done His part. God's opened up the way. Now let us draw near. Some of you may not like this, but you know what? By you coming to this meeting, whether it's just tonight or whether it was last night and this morning, you have been given information that now makes you accountable. You can't sit there and claim ignorance anymore. You've heard some truth that has the potential of totally revolutionizing your life. And by being here, now you're accountable. And so if you go out of here and continue to just mope and complain and, oh God, I'm powerless and would you please do something because I can't do anything. You know what? You can't claim ignorance on that anymore. Now, you, you've got a responsibility to do something with this truth. That's right. That's right. You're either going to have to stir yourself up and take this and start fighting the good fight of faith and resist the wrong teaching and the wrong attitudes that we've got and start taking the Word of God, or you are going to be doubly accountable. God's not going to punish you, but this will just increase Satan's inroad into your life. If you reject this truth and turn away from it, boy, I guarantee you, it's going to give Satan a shot at you. Ignorance is not near as damaging as, as rejection. And I believe that God has spoken some truths to you that have the potential of changing your life, but it's up to you now. There is responsibility on your part. And I think this is why so many people reject this, is because it's just so much easier to believe that God can do anything. He has done nothing, but He could do it. And so we just pray and throw our prayer up there, and if it works, fine. And if it doesn't, well, then it must have been God's will. God is sovereign And we just don't accept any responsibility for anything. It must be God that wants me to be in this mess because God hasn't answered my prayer. And it makes you the victim and it makes people pity you and you get sympathy instead of criticism. That's appealing to a lot of people. But as long as you're the victim, you can't be the victor. you got to get out of a victim mentality and accept responsibility and start being a victor if you want to work if you want things to work and what i've said tonight is not meant to hurt you i know i'm more blunt than most people and so some people get offended and think i'm mean but i'm saying these things cuz i love you i'm saying these things cuz this is what set me free it's changed my life and i'm telling you it would change your life to start believing that god has already provided everything it's not his fault if there's any fault, it's my part. I don't know the truth. I haven't renewed my mind. I'm letting traditions and doctrines of men hurt me and praise God. If that's true, well, then I'm going to accept responsibility and I'm not going to be the same. Some people react to responsibility by saying, well, you're, mean, you're, you're saying that it's my fault. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And they say, well, I, I would not want to accept that. No, it's a blessing to me to find out I'm the problem. Because if I'm the problem, then I can fix it. But if you're my problem, I can't change you. And if God's my problem, I certainly can't change God. It's a blessing to find out that I'm the one that's messed my life up because I'm the only one that I can control. If what I'm saying rubs you the wrong way, it's like when you pet a cat against the grain and all of their hair stands up, you know how you solve that problem? You just turn the cat around and keep petting. And it all lays down. So if what I've said rubbed you the wrong way, you know how to solve this problem? Repent. Turn around. It'll go to feeling good. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So, in closing, let me just say that, you know what, it takes God's power to change our attitude from being, I'm nothing, I can do nothing, I'm powerless, God, would you please help me? It takes God's power and a revelation of the Holy Spirit to make this happen. This is against, what I'm saying tonight is against human nature. Human nature only looks at yourself on the outward appearance. It says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks on the outward appearance. That's talking about mankind, male or female. You, as a person, have a tendency to only see things in the physical, natural realm. And in the natural realm, all of us have problems. All of us have limitations. All of us are failures in some area of our life. And there is justification for us feeling powerless and feeling overwhelmed. But it says God looks on the heart. And in the heart, you're a new person. And it takes the Holy Spirit to enable you to perceive these truths and to perceive that there is something about you that's different than what you can see in the mirror. You know, by nature, I'm an introvert. I used to couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. I, I am doing something that was physically impossible. But when I had that experience with the Lord in 1968, God showed me that He had changed me and the Holy Spirit began to show me a new me, who I was in Christ. And I'm doing things today that I couldn't do before. You have to have the Holy Spirit to quicken you. So if you have not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes many things, but it includes speaking in tongues. I've used that verse in John... in. Uh, Jude, chapter 1, verse 20, "...but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith." That's praying in the Holy Ghost. That's talking about praying in tongues. "...keep yourselves in the love of God." Verse 21. The Holy Spirit is an absolute essential to change your attitude, to quit seeing yourself as a mere human being and start seeing yourself as a new creature in Christ. You must have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have to be born again. You have to have a personal relationship with God. And so if there's any person here that has not yet made Jesus Christ your personal Savior, then you don't have anything to be bold about because you aren't a new person. You need to be changed. And it's only after you experience Jesus that you can start seeing who you are in Christ. And even if you are born again, but if you have never received this baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues, then you must receive that in order to be able to function in this. We've seen well over a hundred people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the last two services, and praise God! I tell you, it's going to change people's lives. Is there anybody here tonight who would say I need one or both of those? I either need.